Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, one thing we didn't hit last week because the voting was held on Thursday night at the NFL Honors Show is Rondi Barber getting snubbed for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. And the word snub always bothers me because I understand that, you know, there's only five modern-day finalists in each class. And so it sounds as if somebody was undeserving when you say somebody was snubbed. It makes them more deserving. And I don't necessarily think that's true. Um, I think all these guys, typically, the you know, the statistics tell us that if you're a finalist, if you're one of the 15 players, modern-day players um, that are finalists and they are debated in that room with the 43, 44 voters, then 90% of those guys make it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's not guaranteed, but it's, you know, 90% is a pretty good number. And the more times you're in the room, the more times you are a finalist, that, that percentage typically goes up. So... Uh, there's a good chance that that entire group of 15 finalists will eventually find their way to Canton, Ohio, and I think that's the case with Rondé Barber. What was interesting about this year, Steve Versnick, is that the class was fairly wide open. There were no, what you would say, slam dunk um, first ballot guys. And in fact, nobody did go in on their first ballot in this class. And so from that standpoint, it kind of made it wide open and, and gave Barber you know, a fairly decent chance, I thought, of of making it to the hall this year, which was only his second straight year as a finalist. He retired, obviously, more years than that, but he, you know, was in the room. He was one of the 15 players uh, to be debated for the second straight year. A lot of, one of the reasons why, frankly, he wasn't there earlier is because John Lynch, from the very same defense, safety for the Bucks, had been a finalist for eight years before he finally got in. And I think the thought was, until Lynch got through, there was no sense in making... Barbara finalist because then you debate them against each other and that would probably hurt both players so um, be that as it may once Lynch went in they were debated on one of the one of those eight years which would have been a year ago Lynch finally got in to the hall uh, was enshrined you know last August and so this is Rondé's second bite of the apple and I think in talking to most people um, and a lot of the voters I know it's it's sort of universally agreed that he is a Hall of Famer. Like there are some guys that go in there and go, mm, I don't know if he's going to make it, you know, and you have to be convinced, right? And that's what the presentations are for. Guys like Eric Hoffman and others have to make a presentation each year for whatever player um, that they're presenting. And your job is to sort of bring evidence and, and convince people. Um, and so I don't, I don't think Rondé is one of those guys that, that takes a lot of arm twisting because he's got things – that you kind of check off with a lot of Hall of Fame players, which is player of the decade, check. Um, you know, multiple, um, you know, Pro Bowls, uh, one all pro, check. Um, and the decade thing is huge. You know, signature play, check. The interception, 92-yard return in the NFC Championship game. Um, did he... Uh, how does he compare statistically with other Hall of Fame players at his position? Check. 
he's got you know a a rare sort of revolutionized the nickel slot corner position um and the only player in NFL history when you say historical something that no one else has done in the game you know 45 more than 45 interceptions more than 25 sacks that sort of thing that's a check so he has all these sort of earmarks and he's a Super Bowl champion which always helps right you played on a Super Bowl defense uh that was good for over a decade so all those things I think Rondé has, and some of those John Lynch did not. You know, John Lynch, for example, wasn't an all-decade player, and that hurt him. The fact of the matter was is he was the best player at his position for 10 years, but those 10 years really were over two decades. He, you know, he kind of came in in 94 in his best year. He started playing a lot in 95 to about 2005, so he was caught between decades. It wasn't his fault, sort of a birthing uh, uh, order. So, So all these things are are kind of worked up against you. Now, the class itself, um, as far as the modern-day guys go, Tony Baselli to me, was a lock this year because he had been in that room, I don't know, like five years ago, I, I stepped in for Ira Kaufman, who couldn't make it, and there was a logjam of offensive linemen. Um, There's probably about six or seven of them, in fact, that were all going to be Hall of Famers, Alan Fanica and people like this, and it was just a matter of what order. And so Baselli, because he only played like eight or nine years, 90-something total career games, I think, um, he was hurt by that. He didn't have the longevity of his career. But when he played, he was dominant. And it's sort of a cue. It's like, you know, who's going to wait the longest? How long have you been in here? What order are they going to go? And Baselli was kind of the last of that group of guys um, that were sort of logjam in there as offensive linemen. So I knew in my mind, that this was going to be Tony Baselli's year. Unfortunately, if it had been last year, his dad would have been alive to see it, but his dad died, and, and that's that's the sadness of it all. But Tony Baselli, I knew was going to get in, and he did. He's the only Jacksonville player to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then there were some others in this class, like Sam Mills. Well, Sam Mills was a great linebacker for both the New Orleans Saints and for the Carolina Panthers, and even coached for the Panthers for a while. He died of brain cancer, I think, back in 2005 or something like that, 2006. And this was his last year of eligibility before he were to go into a senior category. There's one senior and one contributor voted in each year. Um, but there's a lot of players, right, that didn't make it to the Hall of Fame before their their list of el- eligibility in the modern-day era uh, expired. And so I think that voters are very sensitive to that. Like, look, Sam Mills, this is his last year for us to actually debate him and vote on him as a group. Otherwise, he goes to a senior committee and they recommend a a player or a contributor every year. So I think I believe Sam Mills is a Hall of Fame player. Some people will look at some of his stats and his accolades and say maybe not. Um, I personally believed he he was. I would have voted for him probably this year. Uh, He got in. Uh, Richard Seymour is, is another player that's been in that room back, you know, five, six years when I was there. Um, didn't have the stats necessarily of a, of a, say, a Warren Sapp, but he kind of played a two-gap position uh, a lot of the times in a 3-4, which means he was double-teamed a lot. Um, so that took away some of his statistics in terms of sacks and things like that. But those Patriots defenses were really, really good. I mean, long before Tom Brady was the reason they won football games in New England, it was because of Bill Belichick and his defense and Seymour and Teddy Bruschi and Harrison, all these guys were the reason. And so Seymour gets in. And then Bryant Young, who I know, um, 
you know, through work with the 49ers and Eddie DeBarlo and all that. My wife works for him. Um, BY probably should have been in long before now. He was at the time someone that compared favorably in every way to Warren Sapp and had sort of been overlooked for a number of years, but was a finalist two straight years, I think, um, and had been in the room before. But when you when you just hold him up there, he checks every box too. I mean, this guy was a monster defensive tackle, a lot of numbers, broke his leg uh, horrifically like Joe Theismann did, uh, came back the next year, had 11 and a half sacks, was a comeback player of the year. Um, several all pros, you know, won a Super Bowl with the 49ers their last back in 94 or 95 as a rookie. And so he, he got in. Um, and so you look at that and it's, there's just, you know, which I always say this and Leroy Butler, that's the other one, Leroy Butler, who's a safety. Um, again, I think it might've been one of his last years, uh, because Mills, you know, in addition to Mills, I think Butler was getting up there in a number of years too. But Leroy Butler, I thought, was always a guy that kind of, even though he played safety, he, he he did a lot of the same things that Barber did. He could rush the passer. He could play. He could play in the secondary. He could intercept the ball. Didn't have quite the interception numbers, but you know he's a factor on some really good Packer teams. And he waited a while as well. So getting Butler probably didn't help Rondé, even though they don't play the exact same position, but it is a secondary player. Um, and again, I thought it was more about the cue that he had waited longer. And we can debate whether that's really, you know, for, for somebody who's a slam dunk, um, you know, that's a no, no doubter, you know, Peyton Manning, you're not going to make a guy wait. I mean, you're not going to make certain players, you know, are first ballot. But the committee holds first ballot guys in high, high reverence. I mean, it's, there's only 360-something guys, you know, in the history of football that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. When you think about the number of players for over 100 years that have played this game, to have, you know, less than 400 players – that are enshrined into Canton, that's not a lot of guys. So, you know, they hold first ballot guys in, in, in high reference. Um, but I don't know. I mean, are, should we be offended that Rodney Barber didn't make it this year? I mean, he, you know, I, I'm, I wasn't. I know a lot of people were put off and they said he was snubbed, but I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think there's any of those guys that you say aren't worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, when will Rondé get in? I believe he'll get in too. I mean, a lot of times you look at mm-hmm. the position. They don't like to put two of a position in very often unless, you know, right. there's right. just studs. So next year, mm-hmm. you know, you look at who's first eligible, Darrell Rivas. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That could that could hurt Rondé next year in the balloting. You also have Absolute. Absolute. Dwight Freeney next year's first ballot, Joe Thomas is eligible for the first time, and mm-hmm. there was one other. Mm-hmm. Who am I missing? James Harrison. I don't think all four of those guys right. are first ballots, but maybe two. So that's two spots next yeah. year possibly taken up. And and I just want to say, Darrell Rivas, because he plays corner, they're going to hold his numbers up against Rondé's. And I, I again, Rondé has something that you know that he has all those same boxes. It's just that that cornerback position. Revis was a man-to-man shutdown corner. Rondé played a lot more zone coverage, right, and and moved inside when they went to three wide receivers and blitzed and played the run that Revis didn't have to play. But there are different styles of players, just like there's different type of linebackers, right? There's different types of quarterbacks. Um, some are mobile, some are pocket passers, whatever. But they're going to compare Revis, and somebody's going to stand up and say, well, I don't think Rondé Barber is Darrell Revis. 
or I don't think he, you know, are you telling me he's Deion Sanders? Because Deion Sanders is a is a Hall of Fame corner in my mind, which, of course, he is in the Hall of Fame. So that's where you get in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, so, you know, it becomes a, I mean, sometimes the Hall of Fame is almost a math problem for, for these finalists. I mean, you know, if you're projecting ahead, I mean, hopefully Rondé's in before five years from now. But as it stands <laughs> now and five years from now, you've got Tom Brady. You've got potentially Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger. You've got Richard Sherman, Adrian Peterson. Well, you may have five first-time ballots go in in five years. Now, like I said, I'm not saying that Rondé's got to wait five years for it, but I'm saying sometimes it becomes a math problem of who becomes eligible for the first time that year and how many, essentially, spots candidates are vying for or, you know, the guys in the room making the pitch for. You know, it's not always five that, you know, sometimes you know. I mean, Tom Brady's going in the first ballot. There's no question. You know, Ben Roethlisberger's going to win the first ballot. We know that. I mean, there's players that come up when – you know, they're going to go in first ballot. And, you know, so it's one less slot for the guys that have been finalists before have to fight for. Right. And this was a year where they're all five. You could say you had a one in five chance, right? Where I mean, there's 15. So you really have a one in 15 chance. But the point is, you could say that it was wide open. There were no shoe in first ballot guys. And that's what we saw. In fact, nobody on the first ballot went in this year. Um, but there were some guys left behind that surprised me. I mean, I thought DeMarcus Ware, for example, would be in this class. They took Richard Seymour, who's a defensive lineman. Um, going back to your position theory, there is some validity to that. Um, so they didn't, you know, they didn't take DeMarcus Ware. Two receivers were in it, Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne. Both those guys, I think, are going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But when they got to debating and voting, there's a good chance that they canceled each other out. Some people probably thought Holt was more worthy this year. Some people thought Reggie Wayne might have been more worthy this year. And it is a total math problem. You hit it exactly on the head. It is no different than passing a bill in Congress. You need votes. You need votes. There are only so many guys in the room voting, or girls, and you have to have you know one more vote than the other guy to go from 15 to 10, and then they narrow it down from 10 to 5. The good news for Rondé is that he is in a situation where he advanced. He went from 15 last year, and that's where he stayed, somewhere between 10 and 15. So what they do is they pass around, um, you know, they basically pass around a slip with all the players on it, and, you know, you vote for, you, you narrow it down to 10. And five are eliminated the first, first time around. And so last year, Rondé was gone after the first vote. He did not make it to 10. Uh, once you make it to 10, then they're going to vote again, and the top five vote-getters are your Hall of Fame class. Well, Rondé this year made it to 10, and that's, that's big, you know, because he was right there, you know. He could have been six. We don't know. Um, and, we don't, you know, we don't, they don't announce how many votes each player gets. You can kind of find out. It's one thing to check is sort of, how long the debate is, they, they do sort of release the, 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 the amount of time. Uh, and these meetings last like seven and a half hours, but they, amount, they, they announce the amount of time that each player was debated. And, and almost, almost without exclusion, the players uh, who there's the most time is spent talking about, they have a really good chance of making it. And the reason is I used to think, well, that means it's controversial. Uh Uh-oh, that means somebody's arguing against it. Now, usually what it means is that 
people are speaking up on behalf of that player. And so you might have, you know, you got the presenter, you might have one or two others, and that's typically very common. But then if there's four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine different people that want something to say, um, and you can argue it, and some do, but if they got something to say, it's usually, you know, to, you know, sort of buttress the candidate's support and, you know, have some anecdotal evidence or maybe they'll come with, uh, you know, I talked to this player who played against them and he said this about them. And, you know, there's a lot of testimonials given uh, in that room. And so, you know, in, in Rondé's case, I think it was under 10 minutes they debated him. He wasn't the, the, the smallest amount of debate, but he was down there. Um, so it was clear that other players um, had more support this year, and that will change. You know, that will change as we go along. So um, I, I'm convinced Rondi will get in. You're right. I think sooner the better. I mean, the other part of that class you mentioned five years from now, what if Rob Gronkowski retires? That would just be another first ballot guy. Um, that would be a hell of a class, man. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if there's six guys like all those that. Dudes. Imagine if it's Gronk, it's Sherman, it's Peterson, it's Brady, it's Rodgers, and Roethlisberger. Which one's out? <laughs> I don't know. That would be a sn- now. That would be a snub. That would be a snub. I think to tell Darrell Revis or to tell, um, you know, what, or ben, I mean, you're not going to take Ben out, right? He, I mean, who do you take out? Gronkowski. I mean, that in any other year, um, he's a shoe in first ballot guy. All those guys you just mentioned. Maybe they expand the class and go look. We're gonna have six this year. I don't give. I don't give what a damn. We're gonna have to suspend with the rules. Well, and, you know. and not only that, Aaron Donald's talked about possibly retiring and uh, Whitworth for the Rams. Yeah, and I don't know about Whitworth because I, I mean I know he's played a long time yep. and he just won a Super Bowl. But I don't know ultimately how many Pro Bowls he made and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, Aaron Donald for sure. Another pro. Yeah, you're right. If he retires, holy cow! You know, then Gronk has to play. Somebody has to say, "Hey, Gronk, you got to play." I have a feeling that Gronk would like to go into Hall of Fame with with uh, Tom Brady if he's thinking about retirement at all. That might be in the uh, let's retire box, you know, as he makes his list on the yellow legal pad or whatever. Um, but I would think that that would might be one reason why uh, why he would consider it. If they go in together, are they doing a Tommy and Gronky show from Canton? I mean, they have to, right? <laughs> they. <laughs> I would start the telecast with Tommy and Gronky. I absolutely would. Like, I might even do the whole like skit on stage, and then let them come out of the little kitty tub with the flamingos and the sunglasses, and Gronk wearing, you know, just a uh, a tank top or whatever, showing the guns, guns out, suns out, and stand up there and give and give their their seven and a half minute speech. The funniest thing that happened last year, you know, they cut these speeches down. They used to run forever, and then they tried to say, keep it to 15 minutes, and everybody did 40. And then they said, no, really, keep it to 15 minutes, and everybody did 28. Uh, and then finally last year, of all the years, Peyton Manning going in for the first time, right, and the only time, I mean, Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived, going in, and that was the year that they, they limited them to seven and a half minutes, and he jumped all over the Hall of Fame committee for that. It was really funny, as only Peyton could do. Um, but he managed to get it in, and I think he might have gotten a little long, maybe by 30 seconds or so. But, uh, yeah, so I, 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 I love that. I'd love the Tommy and Gronky thing to happen at the Hall of Fame. It'd be hysterical. But it'd be more Tampa than New England, so who knows uh, how that's all going to play out. I got one more debate about the Hall of Fame, and it involves the recent Super Bowl-winning quarterback. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, the Firestone Grand Prix 
of St. Petersburg is coming up. It's February 25th through the 27th. And we're joined now by Kevin Savary, the co-owner of the Firestone Grand Prix, presented by RP Funding. And you know this uh, very well because you've been coming here for so many years, of course, with this race, um, Kevin, that this area has changed. I mean, St. Petersburg itself, you have a resident community now that has grown. You have, I mean, I'm sure you see as, you, as you're challenged to, to lay the racetrack out every year, but I'm sure you've seen the growth of St. Pete. What do you make of that? Yeah, you know, uh, I, have, I have this saying that I, that I always talk about. I call it between the fives. So mm. the race started in 2005, and then you look at the growth between uh, 375, 175, and 275, and it, it's just literally a transformation. And, uh, you know, not that the, not that the race, uh, deserves any credit for that, but I, I do believe that, that for sure our race has been literally a, a three hour annual chamber of commerce commercial for the Absolutely. city of St. Petersburg and the Tampa Bay area that, you know, not only goes throughout the U S and North America, but around the world. And, and, um, you know, again, it, the, the race always showcases so well on television and, and, um, you know, it's, it's been one of the most watched non Indy 500 IndyCar races, you know, every year. So, uh, lots of eyeballs will be focused that day on, on, uh, St. Pete and the, the great views of the bays and, and obviously, you know, literally a, a beautiful downtown. So obviously just very, very proud of that. Obviously, it's different between you know uh, track track racing. Uh, this is a road race, uh, 1.8 miles, as we mentioned, 14 turns. Well, what is it that 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 makes this course so appetizing and challenging? Aside from just the aesthetic beauty of it um, for the drivers, what what do they like about it? What what is the challenges in the, in this track? The street races usually define some very technical areas. So the St. Pete mm-hmm. Road Course has that kind of in the turns uh four five six seven eight complex but what really sets um this this race track apart is it's got three really good passing opportunities one going into turn one another one going into turn four and then uh the last one going into turn 10 and and so i think all the drivers love that it's it's you know it's got multiple uh, opportunities around the racetrack to to have a go at somebody and and a lot of street courses don't have that so even though it's uh you know a, a 1.8 miles which is kind of on the shorter end of of racetracks for for a road course it it it's it's got a very technical technical area but then it also has uh three great passing opportunities and um the one, the one in turn one, um, which is in front of the main grandstands and and so on, that one is is so wide because it's on the runway that literally it's impossible to to, to defend or block your position. You you uh, you take your line, and if a guy's faster than you, he's he's probably going to get around you. And so that's that's always so much fun to watch. And you know, then the strategy comes into it about you know, is somebody going to use more fuel, less fuel? How well do they take care of the tires? It, it um, you know, how old are their tires compared to someone else on a on a on a run? So, um, it's it's uh, it's a great race, a lot of fun, and and uh, the teams really enjoy it. And you know, again, it um, 
it's usually produced its fair share of drama over the years. So we'll we'll look forward to the 18th edition here at the end of the month. For race information and tickets, visit gpstpete.com. That's gpstpete.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I love Dan Orlovsky, who I covered with the Bucks for a few years. Great guy, of course, played a lot of years in Detroit with Matthew Stafford, and he had been banging the drum for a long time. Not only was he convinced that Matthew Stafford was going to win a Super Bowl, uh, and Matthew Stafford did it in dramatic fashion, really in a couple playoff games, bringing us, he had three game-winning drives, including in the Super Bowl on Sunday, uh, to, you know, to win those playoff games and, and take home you know, his first Lombardi trophy, now, here's the thing. Here's where I might disagree with my friend Dan Orlowski is that he believes that that final drive to win the Super Bowl was the last bit of evidence needed to gain entry for Matthew Stafford into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He says, that's it. That's a wrap. That's a lock. He said he actually turned to, his, to, to Stafford's wife. He was sitting with her in a box with their family, and there's about six minutes to go, and he said, look, He's going to do this six minutes to drive down for a game-winning touchdown, a Super Bowl ring, and entrance into the Hall of Fame. He thought all of that was riding on that drive. I would agree that the Super Bowl was. And I might be in the minority. I really don't know what you think about him, Steve. I don't think Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Fame player yet. Now, I, I, now he still could become that. And his numbers... You know, just from a sheer, like, passing yards. I think he's in the top 10. He'll finish in the top 10 of all time for all of that. Longevity, you know, all of that. I'm just not convinced that, that just because he won a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl, that, that he is in the same class of all these other quarterbacks we could rattle off that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, 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 he's not there yet. I, I mean, and here's the biggest reason. One Pro Bowl. One. Yes. Yes. In the NFC, where you didn't have Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger for a generation. Mm. Mm. I mean, mm. you've got good quarterbacks in the NFC. You've got Aaron Rodgers. You've got, I mean, but, you know, the AFC has been dominated by quarterbacks. And it looks like it's going to be for another generation based on all these young quarterbacks there. He's in the NFC. Yes, he's on a bad Lions team. But one Pro Bowl that whole time. Not even as, as, the quarterbacks that make the Super Bowl or pull out from the Pro Bowl, as a lot of them do, he hasn't even been brought up as a sub in all those years. I, I, he's, I mean, look, a, a lot of that is because of his team. You know, he had some really bad Lions teams and and not not good players around him, or you know, not good enough players around him to succeed. And that's a lot of it. But how how can you sit there and say someone's a Hall of Famer if they've made one Pro Bowl in their career? He didn't make it this year, by the way. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Kyler Murray made it this year, right? Who's the guy in Minnesota? Uh, Kirk Cousins made another Pro Bowl this year. You know, I 
there's been a lot of quarterbacks make it to that game, even as an alternate. And and I think everybody generally recognized that Matthew Stafford was special. He was he was mm-hmm. special when he was at Georgia. He was special as a high school player. He can absolutely spin it. Everybody marveled at his arm. He's a tough guy. He went to a terrible organization. We get why he didn't win. I mean, winning is one thing. Um, and, and I think sometimes you have to win to get some of those, you know, personal, you know, awards and things like that. Pro Bowls are, are voted. It's a combination of the fans, which mm-hmm. I don't rely on, but coaches and peers also uh, put you in there. And, you know, as far as Super Bowls go, I don't discount what he did because I thought he had one of the best postseasons I've ever seen. I mm-hmm. mean, three game-winning drives in the playoffs is something to say. But by the same token, he's not on an all-decade team, right? He wasn't the best quarterback for 10 years or one of the best uh, in, in, at his position. Um, he, you know, uh, hasn't won an MVP. He didn't even win the Super Bowl MVP, quite frankly. That was Cooper Cup. So you start comparing him to the Joe Montanas, right? Um, to the, even the Dan Marinos and the, and who didn't win a Super Bowl, the John Elways. Um, I guess maybe the closest thing he could be compared to is a Kurt Warner, you know, who didn't play that long, but got the Rams and, and, you know, got to three Super Bowls, not one, but got to three Super Bowls, two with the Rams, one with the Cardinals, and he damn near won the one yep. against the Cardinals here in Tampa. But he won one Super Bowl. Kurt Warner won two MVPs. Thank you. A Hall of Fame, to me, is, I mean, yes, Matt Stafford had a fantastic postseason. An incredible, you know, it's going to be one of the most memorable postseason runs by a quarterback. But a career, to be in the Hall of Fame, you've got to be considered the elite at your position for at least several years in that in your career. You know, I mean, Matthew mm-hmm. Stafford, uh, some of us the team, has never led the NFL in touchdowns, never led it in yards, made one Pro Bowl, has never mm-hmm. been in the MVP balloting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this year he led the league in interceptions, which that doesn't mean you, you shouldn't be considered a Hall of Famer. I mean, Brett Favre led the league many times in interceptions. But, you know, when you look at he's never been a league leader. In, in, I mean, he's led in attempts two years early in his career and once in completions. But beyond that, he's never led the NFL in anything outside of interceptions this year. He's just he's a really, really good quarterback. Great skills. Been on bad teams. He's on a good team and won a Super Bowl, and, and in part because of the way he played in the postseason, no question about it. But one postseason doesn't make a Hall of Fame career. And it's unfortunate for him because he played for Detroit, which didn't have a lot of players around him. And he might have done those things that he doesn't have on his, on his resume. I mean, I really believe that at quarterback, more than any other position, and it's a draft, you don't get to choose where you go until you become a free agent. But... For whatever reason, Matthew Stafford spent his entire career there. He got paid. He got paid to stay there. They didn't want him to leave. They paid him. They kept him, whatever. Um, you know, but that quarterback position really oftentimes you have to get a little lucky. You know, you have to go to a better organization um, where, you know, you have a chance. And Detroit just never really surrounded him with enough players, stability at coaching, good general managers. It wasn't a good organization. It's not his fault. Had he been someplace else, maybe he maybe he wins a lot more of those awards. Who, who's to say? And his career's not over. Let's be honest. Like he could go out there next mm-hmm. year, light it up, um, throw for 5,000 yards, get his team back to the Super Bowl, win it. Now we're having a different conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Uh, you win multiple Super Bowls. There's not many quarterbacks that do that, even on any team, that don't make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think Eli Manning uh, will make the Pro Football Hall of Fame, although he's been some of those things you just mentioned. Um, but, you know, again, on the strength of, of two Super Bowl wins, you know, I, I think that will help Eli a lot. And, and you know, right now, I don't, I don't think Stafford is there. I, I think he's the Hall of Very Great. Um, but this is not what it is. It means the Hall of Fame, and you have to, you have to honor who's already in in before you. You have to say, yeah, I belong with a gold jacket right alongside of, you know, Joe Namath, Terry Bradshaw, you, you know, Tom Brady. Eventually, I mean, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, the elites of the game, and Johnny Unitas, and you can go all the way back. And I don't, I just don't think he's there yet. And it may not be any fault of his own, but but he's not there yet, in my opinion. And for 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 Dan to say that's it, that seals it, that's really premature, you know, because we're putting so much weight on the Super Bowl, and yes, the quarterback position he did he did mount those drives, which there's no, you know, Cooper Cup won the MVP by the way. That's how much people thought of that final drive. But there are guys on the practice squad that won a ring, you know. There's guys that are just on the 53 man roster that have a Super Bowl. Are they all of Famers? So you know, how much weight do you put into winning the Super Bowl? A lot more if you're a quarterback for sure, you know. But it's not required. Dan Marino didn't win one. It took John Elway to his last two years of his career to win one. Peyton Manning, you know, was a passenger on the one that he won in Denver. Before that, he had only won one Super Bowl in Indianapolis. He'd been to a couple. So, you know, it's a team game. And it's the most important position on the team. But winning a Super Bowl or not winning a Super Bowl, I don't think should guarantee everything. If that's If that was the final piece... I mean, I think if you're a good enough quarterback, it's been proven you're going to make the Hall of Fame whether you whether you win one or not. You know that that's to me that's the test. Can you get there without winning one? Were you great enough? Did everybody recognize you as the best player at your position while you were playing for multiple years, not just one year? And and I don't think they've done that with Stafford. So yeah, I I tend to think that you know he's still a little shy of Canton, um, but he took a huge step. You know, he definitely took a huge step. You know, what's interesting also, Steve, I don't know if you've caught some of this conversation about Sean McVay and the fact that he's the youngest coach to win a Super Bowl. He's been to two of them, of course. And there was a lot of pressure on Sean McVay because they made the trade, you know, for Stafford and, you know, that that was a big deal. They went all in. They sacrificed a lot of draft picks. This is their second trip to the Super Bowl. Had he lost this game, um, you know, you wouldn't look favorably upon him for one reason or another. And I didn't think he coached the greatest game in the world. I really didn't. But, you know, you kicked Jared Goff to the curb, and he went to Detroit, and you made the deal, and all the draft picks. So they, they needed to win, and they did. He's got like two or three years, I think, left on his contract with the Rams. But he was asked about coaching longevity and – I guess he has no plans to not coach these next couple of years. But he did say that, you know, ultimately my goal is to have a family and, and be able to spend time with him. And McVeigh is very Gruden-esque in terms of he sounds like him first and foremost. But he also, you know, is he's a grinder. He's one of these guys that works a lot of hours, right? Just doesn't know any other way to do it but to spend tons of hours a week trying to prepare his team. And – even at his age, he's already talking about those sort of things. And, and I think what has changed 
is the money in coaching. It's gotten so much bigger that, you know, right now owners are trying to hire friends of McVay, these 30-something-year-old guys, and they're going to get rich and they're going to get rich fast. And then the money in broadcasting has changed to the extent that, you know, you look at that and you can make as much or more. I mean, look what Tony Romo's making these days. I think that attracted Sean Payton, quite frankly, uh, to broadcasting and got him probably out of New Orleans um, after all those years. At least that's what his plan is, is to go into broadcasting and do that at least for a year. Maybe he ends up the Dallas Cowboys coach in a year. I don't know. But there's not it, – it's changing. I think it's changing. I think that the, 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 maybe it's the generation that they're from. Um, maybe it's the demands of the job. And, and mostly I think it's the money. They don't have to coach until they're 50, 60, 70 years old. Um, and they have other you know, outside interests, and they can, they can do something around the game that doesn't take them away from their families or their children or their wives – and that seems to be something that McVeigh is already thinking about. Are you surprised by that? A little bit, just knowing his personality and and you know his upbringing and and the, the kind of his tree, not the, below him but above him, and, and all that. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the amount of money now being paid to broadcasters, with additional broadcasters now hiring, I mean Amazon's going to take over Thursday Night Football this year. Who knows if they're going to yeah. increase to other networks or streaming services in the future? You know, Apple's been talked about getting in bed with the NFL as well and doing some broadcasts. And there's YouTube, and the, you know, so you may end up with a lot more announcing positions. Quite frankly, too, as the NFL continues to be the one entity on television that continues to grow. I mean, you know, most television shows ratings go down. The NFL are, are not, or if they're going down, they're not nearly as fast as other shows is that live football programming and a lot of the ancillary stuff that goes with it, fantasy and gambling and and that has, mm-hmm. you know, there's no better product on television than live sports, and the NFL is king in this country of that. Yeah, and I mean, if you don't do broadcasting, there's other, other uh, avenues like social media or there's broadcasting of another type, which is like, you know, Pat McAfee getting $30 million for his show. Like you can do a daily, you know, sort of video podcast if you want uh, and get paid. So, yeah, I just think opportunity is the key. And yeah, well, we should, we should try that. Um, That it helps if you played in the NFL and you have friends like Aaron Rodgers. but yeah, I think, I think you can do those sort of things now and get paid. And um, you know, that's, that's huge. So, it's just I, look. A part of me is is happy for those guys that they have that they have that opportunity, because I've seen coaches. You know, when I started covering this league thirty years ago, and guys like Ray Perkins, Perkins would always say this. He would go like, you know, he might. He says, you know, I might not be the smartest guy, but I know this. No one's going to outwork me. I mean, I mean, I know I can control that. They ain't going to outwork us. And so he he just thought that if he gave you know if nothing else. He could work 20, 20 hours a day, and you know he knew at least that he'd be in the top five percent of his class if he did that. And that was when the guys, you know, Vermeil and them, you know, you heard about burnout, sleeping in their offices, all that sort of stuff. It does occur, and I think that you know Stafford's one of those guys. But you know, he's a young, good-looking guy. You know, he he certainly would be great on te- television. It's just there's you're right. There's more opportunity. And there's more that's going to come down the road. So not only that, but Look at 
coat like Brian Flores finishes with a winning record. Yeah, they had a horrible stretch early, but it ends up with seven straight wins, gets fired. Uh, David Culley in Houston takes over for a team that has no Deshaun Watson, no no good quarterback, a depleted roster. He gets fired after a year. I mean, you got coaches out there going, it doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter what. We've got owners that are mm-hmm. just going to change it at a moment's notice, so I, mm-hmm. I can't blame them from considering a cushy TV job. And I'm not saying those guys don't work when I say cushy TV job, but it's not nearly the stress and pressure of what a head football coach is in the NFL or college, for that matter. Uh, you can't you can't blame those coaches for looking at that at this point it, when the money is is as good, if not better, than what you're getting as a coach. Yeah, and it's stability is something that a lot of a lot of people crave, including us. And it's like you know, if you're going to get fired every two years, it's hard. First of all, you got to coach a lot of places to get to the point where you are a head coach. I mean, I just I did a story over the weekend about Raheem Morris uh, for Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday, and Rob, by the way, by the way, Raheem Morris coached as good a game as anybody in the playoffs did mm-hmm. against Cincinnati. I mean, you look at the percentage on third down. You look at you look at what they did throughout the playoffs. Um, you know, second and five plus, like their defense was. And they had players. I'm not saying they didn't, but he knew what to do with them. And he made some adjustments in the second half mm-hmm. to shut down the run and, you know, had five-man fronts going and stuff like that. And he, he coached a great game. He is he has coached offense. He has coached defense. He has been a head coach when he was 32. You know, and I wrote, and this is true, like when he was hired by the Bucks, the same year Josh McDaniel, McDaniels was hired by the Denver Broncos. And McDaniels only coached two years and – didn't have a very good record. I think it was like one, like 11, 11 or 12 games in two years. And he was fired and went back and then he got another job with the Indianapolis Colts. And then he was the runaway bride. He accepted the job and then left and went back again um, to the New England Patriots where he has been until just recently got his third job uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders. And Raheem's still sitting here. You know, Raheem has not gotten another chance and he's had, about five or six interviews. Um, he had another one this year with Minnesota, uh, two last year, one with Atlanta after he was the interim coach. He interviewed in Jacksonville, I think, a year ago when Urban Meyer got the job. So, And he's not, he's not the guy banging the drum saying, you know, there's discrimination and, you know, he's not buying in completely to the Brian Flores narrative. He said all the interviews he's gone on have, have been very legitimate and very thorough and, and he felt that he was given a, a fair chance. He believes that when he does get his, his other chance, and he says when, not if, he's very confident. Um, but he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to be ready for it. You know, I'll be, I'll be more prepared this time. And he wasn't prepared, and we can, we can talk about the Bucks situation was horrible uh, when they made Raheem the head coach and how they screwed up hiring his coordinators and all this other stuff. Um, but the fact of the matter is, at one point, he was 10-6 and six one year and then was 4-2 and two to start the other year until they lost a couple of players and the wheels fell off because they had no depth. And then they didn't win another game, and he was fired. Um, but you think about how long and how many moves he has had to make, you know, with his family and, and it's tough, it's tough on families uh, to have to do that. So yeah, if you've got an opportunity to get out and get out at a fairly young age and have some stability, whether it's working in TV or some other medium, then I see why they're doing it. I just think that you're not going to see these lifers. I mean, Bruce Arians will be 70 years old in October, 70. He's coached at various places 40 years. You know, um, he's moved his, his family probably 
20 times and he regrets it. I mean, he regrets the time he lost with his kids. That's why, you know, to this point, and they're all very close right now, but it's, it's to his point with his assistants. He'll say, hey, if you've got a recital, if you've got a ball game, you got something and you don't go to it and I find out, I'll fire you. Like he wants his guys to get their work done and get out of there. And consequently, a lot of them come to work at 3.30 in the morning or 4 o'clock, but, you know, they're there on Friday nights watching their kids play high school football like Todd Bowles at Jesuit. So that that's the goal. But I don't think you're going to see many coaches like Belichick, um, you know, uh, Pete Carroll, guys like that coaching until they're 70 years old. You can do it. It's a profession where you can coach that long, and some will. But I think, you know, what we're seeing now is a lot of 30-somethings getting hired, and I'd be surprised if they're not out of the game before they're 50. You know, I, I, I don't think they're going to let their families grow up uh, without them, again, because of the money and the opportunity outside the game. All right, just a reminder, the 18th Annual Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, presented by RP Funding, is happening February 25th through the 27th. That beautiful temporary circuit is a 1.8-mile, 14-turn configuration through the streets of uh, St. Petersburg. It circles Pioneer Park, the Duke Energy Center of the Arts, the Daly Museum, and extends all the way onto the runways at Albert Witted Airport. For race information and tickets, visit gpstpete.com. That's GP. SaintPete.com. Got a mailbag tomorrow. Your questions answered 100% correctly. All you got to do is send them to us on Twitter if you want at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.